Welcome to the Jig is Up. As always, my name is Darcy, and this guy is Jason. How's it going, buddy? Good. How are you today? Not bad. Not too bad. We haven't done an episode for quite some time, it's apparently. Yeah, it's been a crazy summer. It has been. Yeah, yeah. You uh, got injured all summer, and uh, plus COVID, plus not really being able to do anything. And yet, I felt like my August was busier than ever. Yeah, well, and then with work for me, it's been a real scramble with COVID to keep things going and, and keep everybody afloat and staff. So it's, uh, yeah, you think you'd be slower because you were locked down, but really it's turned out to be busier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's crazy how life throws things at you like that. But we're back and we're here today and we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. So uh, I guess let's dig right into this. Um, so I got a bunch of articles here. I'm just going to kind of go back and forth to. Uh, the first one we'll start with is the CEO of Fort Mackay Métis Group, the companies. Now, this guy is not, I don't believe he's Métis. I don't believe he's part of the cultural aspects, but he's a CEO of their corporations. Um, has actually been charged with sexual assault relating to alleged incidences involving one person that occurred in Lac-La-Biche, Alberta in 2017. Um, his defense of this says, um, in a written statement, he denied the allegations saying that they're politically, mo he believes they're politically motivated, brought forward by individuals associated with the Métis Nation of Alberta Association. <laughs> so, I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Jason? Well, initially, I mean, there's, it's such a deflection. We already know, like, politically, the, the ins and outs that go on here. But honestly, if there was a victim that came forward and he was actually charged to use Métis politics and the back and forth that's already there as some kind of deflection. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't buy it, but that, that's my two cents. It does seem like a little bit of a stretch. Now, I mean, we've, we've got what, well over a hundred episodes now. Um, most of which we're not very, nice to the Métis Nation of Alberta, the Métis National Council, its affiliates, we call them the cartel. We're very critical of them. Um, but even for me on this one, um, I, I, I mean, I honestly do believe we have to side with the victims until things get shuffled around. But also having said that, our court system kind of sucks for these kinds of charges anyway. So even if he doesn't get found guilty, I don't know. Unless it's very clear and very evident that he's he's innocent, but I think like I agree with you to, to throw in the M and A in this and say it's you know they're somehow backing it, kind of almost seems like you're putting the tinfoil hat on a little too tight at that point. Or the like, fact that it's it's really again about almost victim blaming. You know, I'm a good guy. They're politically yeah. out to assassinate me, and and this person is making unfounded allegations at me just for a political reason. Yeah, you know that happens. It's you know, it's not that that's out of the realm of possibility. But honestly, if there was charges involved in it, it's got to be more than just some kind of character assassination for political motives. Well, that's just it. I mean, the RCMP in particular are horrible at investigating just about anything. Um, in my opinion, uh. So, I mean, when they actually investigate something like this and lay charges, there's got to be, like, that says to me there's got to be more to this than what we're knowing. 
um, like there has to be some pretty solid evidence because uh, we all know that sexual assaults or, or um, cases just don't get there's they don't put the effort into investigating them they're not very good at investigating them and they usually go into the investigation with the attitude of the victims are lying and they have to prove like that you know like the 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 person being charged or alleged is always innocent according to the police kind of thing, which I know is the law, but it's the same time. It's, they just don't approach these investigations um, with the same interest that they seem to approach, you know, traffic tickets, to be honest with you. So yeah, exactly. I, I do feel there has to be more there than what we're obviously getting told in the news. Um, <laughs> but we don't know. And uh, for now we have to kind of go with the victim. Having said that, the M&A's response, which I thought was a little cheeky and kind of adds fuel to this whole fire, and especially fuel to his defense of that it's the M&A out to get him. Um, and where Audrey said in her statement, uh, this type of conduct has been common in our society for far too long. Uh, these issues need to be raised and addressed within our communities and the Métis Nation as a whole. And I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've heard rumors within the Métis Nation of, of inappropriate behavior from a lot of the leadership, um, specifically some of the male leadership. Um, I think it's not an uncommon rumor. I've heard multiple sources tell me multiple stories. It, none of it's provable in court, but I mean, it's not like the Métis Nation as a whole, you know, the whole cartel is, is also innocent in this, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, the, it, them saying that is is a bit, um, you know, inflammatory. I would think to the whole process, but at the same time, you're right. I mean, how many rumors have we heard about uh, leadership within the uh, MNC structure, uh, right from the top is top down? Yeah. So it's not uncommon. Um, she, that's not a false statement. The sad part is, is they it's easy to bring that up when it's not within your own organization and you're, you know, you're not addressing your own leadership. Well, that's just it. It's, it's a great way to deflect from the fact that, uh, you know, you turn voters away at the voting polls, you refuse to reinstate the, the judiciary council. Like there's a plethora of things that they don't do at the M and a and all the cartel organizations where there's a complete lack of transparency. So them, then to, for them to call out another organization for basically lack of transparency and on issues like this, eh, it's kind of, you know, the pot calling the kettle black, I think. Um, and I, I think it's very important too, to point out that uh, from what I understand, this guy's just the CEO of the corporations. So he doesn't represent the Fort Mackay Métis Nation or the new organization that affiliation that's, that's up there. Um, as far as I know, he's just the CEO of the corporation. So there is that separation there, I think. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I just find that the language that's used is always inflammatory. They use, again, Métis identity politics, really. Yeah. And organizational tiffs to deflect from the, you know, what, what is potentially a very serious accusation. Um, you know, and we have to let, let due process take its course before, you know, I can't say guilty or not. But. Yeah. It's just funny that then, you know, you have this constant use of validity in the Métis world of who's, you know, who's in charge, who's in power, what organization is the right one. Um, yep. 
as deflection for every issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I, this is horrible. And if the guy is guilty, then send him away. I think we can all agree to that. Like this behavior like this doesn't need to ever happen. It should never happen. Uh, guys need to be better. CEOs need to be better. Corporate structures need to be better. Environments need to be better. Workplaces need to be better. The God, the friggin' RCMP need to be better. They're, we've paid out as taxpayers on what almost $2 billion in class action lawsuits for this exact same issue. So, you know, I, I, a hundred percent, you know, have empathy for the victim in this. Um, but we do need to realize this is a, this is a bigger issue than Métis politics. It's a bigger issue than, you know, slinging some mud so that you can get some traction with your hundred followers on social media. Like this is a, and, and on all honesty, this is a, this is a man's issue as much as anybody's and, and we need to stop doing this shit. I mean, if you act correctly, this stuff doesn't happen. Um, and I'm, yes, there's going to be those that say, oh, but there's liars out there. Yeah, there's always going to be liars, but we can't, we can't turn away a thousand sexual assault cases because one was a liar. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I just think it's terrible, but yeah, the mudslinging and even for his defense, I think is, is pretty lowbrow. Um, it, it's it almost better if you just don't say anything because now you just kind of look weaselly. Well, and that, and that's what I mean is to, to, to bring identity politics and organizational tiffs into yeah serious allegations that largely are personal yes. uh, and have nothing to do with being Métis or not being Métis or being part of an organization or not. It yeah. really is a personal interaction issue and there should be accountability and transparency there. The fact that there's, he throws shade one way, but then the organization, you know, responds, the MA responds by throwing shade back. So yeah. it's like, there's just nobody willing to take any kind of high ground, it seems, anymore. Well, no, and, and it, you know, it, like, it's about taking responsibility for, for what they do. And, and it just, on neither end of those things, did, are these people taking responsibility? I mean, yeah, um, yeah the MA, I don't think, definitely should not be trying to wade into this. This has nothing to do with them. Other than his defense, I guess in that sense, you know, they have a right to defend themselves against his allegation that they're the ones backing this. Um, mm -hmm. But it just, uh, yeah, it's just all yeah, well, They don't really have. Exactly. And you're right. They don't really have a choice, but to defend themselves and make a statement. But yeah. again, they could have made a statement without throwing shade as well. But exactly. I mean, to say that you support the victims and then this stuff needs to stop. Absolutely. hundred um, percent. So, I don't know, but I'd like to, what I'd like to see is if the Métis Nation would take the charge on maybe compiling the stories and maybe doing something about the current leadership who there's certainly some, some issues there um, with. So maybe look after your own house before you go to start throwing rocks at the glass house beside you. Yeah, it's one thing to defend yourself and say it has nothing to do with us organizationally or as, a, as an entity. Yeah. But then try to, to go past that and throw shade on back yeah, when you're looking at all the accusations against some of the highest leadership in your own organization. You know, it's, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough to buy. It's tough to buy that you, it, for me, I guess it comes across as a little bit disingenuous when you're, you're willing to pounce on this opportunity to throw some mud. 
but you're not willing to deal with the problems within your own organizational structures, uh, your own power structure. Um, you know, there's, and, and I mean, a lot of these things happen because there's a power imbalance and that's really what it boils down to. I mean, you look at the MPs that have been caught, it's because they're MPs because they have the power to get away with it. Right. Um, or so they think. And so, and I, I think that's, you know, a lot of this and, and we've certainly heard the stories throughout the years. So yeah, it's, it's a crappy case, but I just want to make sure, I, I also want to point out again that he's not necessarily part of the Fort McKine Métis Nation. He's just their CEO. And as, and I'm, I'm saying that because I don't think this throws a, a dark shadow over the whole Fort McKine Métis Nation, the, what they're doing for their people, um, you know, with their, the camp, the traditional camp that they bought, the land they bought, the new organization they formed, the, the, you know, negotiating with the federal and provincial governments directly. I don't think it, this casts a shadow on any of that because it's kind of the separate thing where this is the companies that make the money that pay for that. But really, you could replace this guy. I mean, that is the bottom line, right? Well, and again, it's not an organizational issue. This is a personal interaction issue. Yes, that, yes. You know, unfortunately, I mean, this is the, a problem when you have these kinds of interactions with people in power that don't have accountability and transparency. But the truth yeah. is, is that it's not an organizational issue. And right. so, you yeah, know, absolutely. if anything, it shows the organization is taking it seriously. There's charges being laid. I don't know what their response is to that, but you know, it doesn't, it's one person doesn't, you know, make or break a nation. Um, so. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so moving on from there, uh, we have, We'll get to this one first, I guess. So this was, um, I don't know, maybe a month ago or so, maybe a little more than that. The BC government is investigating allegations of healthcare staff in emergency rooms playing a game that they called, I think they called it the price is right amongst physicians and nurses. And what that game entailed was any indigenous person that came into an ER and I don't know if this was province-wide or if this was like just a few ERs in a local area, but basically any indigenous person that came into the ER, the nurses and doctors would play a game to see what, to guess what their blood alcohol content was. Whether they knew the patient or not, whether they've ever seen him or not, whether the person was even intoxicated or not, that was the game they played. As soon as they found out they were indigenous, oh, let's, let's play the prices right. Um, so you want to talk about systemic racism? <laughs> you want to talk about systemic issues? This is one of 20 examples where the healthcare system in any province you pick, systemic racism. Um, and I mean, like, honestly, like how disgusting is it when you're playing a game like that towards people that are coming into an ER where obviously they feel like it's important enough and they're vulnerable enough to go to an ER. Like they're, they're not in a good situation and you're going to take advantage of that. Like it's, I don't know, pretty shitty. Well, and it, it does, it really highlights um, the systemic attitudes that we've developed in Canada towards indigenous people right yeah. through um, the, you know, our education system. We had, <laughs> a, you know, with this COVID issue, we've had a lot of, opportunities to talk about home education and, and things like that with different families and it's really interesting when you talk about 
where the source is of some of these attitudes in our province towards indigenous people. Yeah. Um, I think one of the scariest stats I've ever seen is what is the average, what is the average number of nonfiction books a person reads once leaving high school or university? I think I remember this as like three or one or something or less than one. Yeah. Zero. The average is zero. Wow. So when we think about our education system and having all of our materials have to be government approved before we can teach them to our kids, is it any wonder when you look back at what's been taught in our education system over the last 50 years about Indigenous people, why in the modern context we have adults, you know, working in professions who still hold these ideas mm -hmm. of Indigenous people? And it's so systemic in our system. We got a long way to go to overcome these kinds of obstacles moving forward. Absolutely. And it's, uh, I mean, it's in every system that the government has set up. It's your chief and council is a government of Canada imposed system. So it's there. Uh, systemic racism is, is pervasive throughout every system that you can imagine. Education, healthcare, child and family services, um, yeah, unemployment, anything like that. It's, it's just rampant throughout. I mean, even veterans. Even to get Métis veterans recognized from World War One or Two, is 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 just happening in the last few years. Like it, it's <laughs> these wars are basically you know we're we're hundred years past some of you know like a century has gone by and we're just starting to recognize that hey, did you know that First Nation and Métis fought in those wars and they were veterans and we denied them benefits? Maybe we should make up for that. So, I mean, these are the, like, the systems that are in place, and they're just rampant with this. So then the kind of person that's attracted to those systems probably has similar goal or similar outlooks on, on life or is very easily, you know, transformed once they're in the system. I mean, you look at police in the whole back the blue, you know, the brothers and sisters in blue. Um, there's another system, the justice system in general just rampant with racism and i mean this is this is one example like the the and the person who was quoted in here said there was a 2019 report in bc where 15 a 15 page report outlining various incidences and uh, uh of racism and discrimination that indigenous people faced i don't know over what time period or what this report is but i mean it it this happens all the time between starlight tours people being left. I mean, the whole fact that we have Jordan's principle is based on the fact that there's racism in the system. Um, you know, so it, I don't know how people can deny systemic racism, racism at this point. Well, I think a lot of the challenge is though, you know, our public education system and you've gone there for 12 years yeah, and you have your government approved version of what Canada is. Yeah. Then you come out into the, your, you know, university years. The truth is you already are pre-programmed with that bias. Yeah. And so when you get into these further education institutions and other segments of our society that hold these positions already about racism against Indigenous people, well, that's your natural default. So if you're in school and that's the programming and you come out into a police force or medical field 
and that's the bias they hold, well, mm. you're going to assume it's correct because it's the correct position you've had your whole life. Exactly. And so when nobody reads a book, <laughs> when nobody decides to get any further education unless it's put upon them inside yeah. of their institution, how do we overcome this racism when the institutions themselves aren't willing to properly educate and counter yeah. some of this propaganda? And what do we do with individuals who then feel that this is the correct mode to view the lens to view through? So exactly. Well, and it's, it's really hard. I mean, you get into these systems and you know, you, um, let's take police or well, or any job really, you, you know, you're the, you're the new person on the job. You're the lowest on the totem pole, so to speak. You know, you're a brand new constable or whatever with the police. Is it, you don't even have the power to speak out. Um, like, what kind of whistleblowing policies do we have in Canada for police officers, for doctors, for nurses, for, you know, people within the social workers that see things going on that aren't right? We don't really have a good protective policy for whistleblowers. I mean you're a police officer and you see something go on and you blow the whistle, you basically you're fired and driven out of the organization. And then beyond that, you may be even driven further to things like suicide or, or what have you. Um, and there's been examples of that, you know, with the RCMP certainly. Um, and so it's just things like that, where there's no, like what protections are there for an individual who says, yeah, this stuff is wrong. We should do something like this should change. But it's one person against an organization, against the government, basically. And like you said, when everybody's educated the same way and they all think this way, and you're the one person kind of beating your head against that wall, is there going to be a lot of change left? Or is that wall just going to fall down on you and squish you through the whole process, right? Mm -hmm. And that's largely the way I see it. I mean, that's the problem when we say systemic is that this isn't, you know, even this isn't my generation of, of, you know, workers now that I'm getting older. You know, this is this is systemic back to the those who came before me. And then it's to I grew up, you know, with that. And then I, I keep that same attitudes and, and stuff at work. And so then, like you said, the new guy on the job, when I'm the senior boss, what are they going to do? Yeah. And so without real intervention i think in a lot of these institutions and more to the point to our education system yes so that you know in the next seven generations this is no longer a problem because we properly had a conversation about what is canada and who yeah. are canada's indigenous people yeah no absolutely and i mean you know then you get you kind of get into the whole breakaway issue off that of like the fact that in the eastern part of the country, there's a lot of First Nations and Métis that don't get recognized. Will or you know, or at this point, it doesn't look in the near future like they will get recognized as even being indigenous. And so you kind of have that further systemic racism of, well, we've already eliminated you, so you need to stay out of the system now. You're just average Joe White guy, and we'll bring in some academics to say that too, so it looks real legit, but it's it's kind of the same, it's an offshoot of this same problem. It's a systemic racism. Everything that's in the, in our systems is designed to eliminate the indigenous person in you. So at that point, like they've been very successful in the East in eliminating first nations, Métis, indigenous people. 
and they're con- just continuing this stuff. And I mean, so it's, it's pervasive through every system throughout the country. Um, I can't think of a government system, bank system that's set up to really encourage indigenous people, unless it's a system set up by indigenous people for indigenous people. Um, but even then when it's in the, within the confines of the Canadian government, you still run into this stuff. I mean, you know, the, the eternal stories of chief and council issues of they just get all their family onto the council. Well, that's how the system set up. Is it set up for people to be corrupt? And same thing with them, you know, the cartel, it's the same thing. Well, a lot of it is too. People are people, you know, if you are in a situation of poverty and you know, you have a chance to help somebody who are you going to help yeah exactly well like i i feel for people you know we have reserves that are in bad shape that are mm-hmm. you know people are living in in really terrible terrible situations and when the government interjects a limited amount of jobs with real wages into that scenario you know what would you do who yeah. would you and so this is so it creates this whole splits and division that we see and it, it's really what the government has done is not only marginalized indigenous people but turned indigenous people on themselves mm-hmm. so that you have indigenous leadership i mean they're paid and work for the government but you know yeah. they're not starving but the problem is it creates this division absolutely people on the reserve who have nothing and you and I have done lots of government funded and, and, you know, grant funded things. You can only spend the money on what they tell you. Yeah. Or they take it away. So it's not like you can say, Oh, if you give me a salary of this much money, I'll go do, you know, exactly. Next, you're not allowed. No, you know? the whole fire truck snafu in Ontario there shows you what that's about. Absolutely. And, and the settlers who've come here, on the land are going to do everything possible to change the narrative so that they're the indigenous person. Now you look at the Quebec national nationalistic movement is about saying that Quebecers are the indigenous people. Well, everybody knows that's not true, but it makes good propaganda in a nationalistic movement. Well, and especially if you're playing a long game, I mean, we've seen the Métis National Council from 1982 till now really bringing forward this this concept that if you're not from the Red River Valley, you're not Métis. Mm-hmm. Um, but that took them, you know, how this this many years now to really get people to fully buy into that. So it's kind of that old like you say the the you say a lie enough, people start to believe it. And I think, you know, the long game is, is French Canadians start saying, well, we're in, we're the indigenous people of this land. A hundred years from now, maybe, maybe there'll be a, you know, 45% more people really do believe they are, (laughs) you know, and that, but that's the long game. And that's, again, it's that set up to eliminate the actual indigenous people on this land. Um, Absolutely. And that's why it it bothers me when I see Métis National Council and the cartel and these organizations really slamming down on Eastern Métis as, you know, the the biggest threat to our nation. The biggest threat to your nation is the government of Canada. 
and these organizations that are funded and controlled by the government of Canada because they're the ones that are taking away, giving and taking hunting rights as they see fit, giving away and taking away uh, Métis memberships as they see fit. They're becoming the gods of, of, of Métis identity. Um, so the real threat isn't, you know, a few people in the East who want to get recognized that they have, they're Indigenous. It's, it's the rest of this where they want resource money. They want, and they want to tie themselves even more deeply into the Canadian government with the, you know, the Jesus Trudeau who walks on water when it comes to Métis things. And to me, that's the bigger threat, right? Well, and it's the same thing. And I always come back to that same statement when you're talking about Indigenous people and the government. We have this idea that the government has such limited funds, but we've seen through this yeah. whole COVID that when push comes to shove, they can spend any kind of money they feel like spending on whatever they feel like spending it with little or no accountability for whatever they're doing. Yeah. And so we, in the Métis world, it sure seems though that we feel that there's just one pie and we all have to share it. And the more people that want that pie, the less there is for everybody. And yes. that's simply not true. And that's what it really boils down to when yeah. we talked about this loss. You know, why would one Métis or any Indigenous organization purposely set out to marginalize or discredit anybody else who has a, an Indigenous claim? Absolutely. Because if it's not about money, what is it really about? I mean, we can make arguments it's about propriety of a flag or uh, a geographical location or the definition of some nationalistic term. But really, what then what it's coming down to is, again, ownership of what that definition of words mean. Yeah. But when we look at history, that's not true. Yeah. Well, and that's just it. I mean, there's, a, there's so many hypocrisies in this whole, like, uh, if you're not from here, you're not Métis, this whole geographic, like this whole Métis identity thing is, is very hypocritical in a lot of ways. Um, but it ties into, like, there was an article that came out recently um a couple weeks ago about a regional director in Saskatchewan and it goes along this lines where he made some comments about Eastern Métis um first he said uh, in one of his speeches or his speech one of the things he said is that we have to defend our nationhood at all costs at any risk uh he said we're giving away our rights our citizenship and I don't even know mixed bloods they're Heinz 57s according to me no more than that um Later in his speech, he, he said, uh, he argued that, and I think this is where it ties into exactly what the issue is. He argued that proposed funding model that he was talking about didn't make sense to him and argued money should be used for true Métis people, not false Métis people, not these mongrels. And, I, and this is one of his quotes. I don't mean to be harsh. I call it the way I see it. If I see a monkey, to me, it's not a humanoid. You know what I'm saying? So I won't sugarcoat it. And this got a lot of laughter from the crowd wherever he was speaking at the um, Crescent Lake Métis gathering is where this happened. And, but it goes along that lines. I mean, he even said this, all of his comments are based off of some funding model that they were talking about. So it, this is all based on the money and it's exactly what you said. Oh, I don't want you to have any, cause that means I might get less. 
But like you said, the government, I mean, they, they decided to buy a pipeline for four and a half billion like that. Yet that four and a half billion, I'm pretty sure would have solved the drinking water problem across the country. But we don't do that. Why? And, and the challenge is, is that's, you know, we've covered this in lots of episodes, mm-hmm. is what's real versus what's propaganda? What is, what are the facts? What's historically accurate? Versus what are, what's the jargon and the, the spin doctor saying in the day? Mm-hmm. And that's where this is really gone. We have this it's like systemic racism. If, if you say it long enough and loud enough, you know, then it becomes fact. And that's yeah. what this is really about is the Métis Nation since, since adopting in 2002. It's, yeah. you know, definition of, you know, historic definition of Métis. Um, we, they've been on this steady march to own that term and control Section 35 rights. Yes. But is it factual? Is that historically accurate? Is that how Métis people were resent, you know, represented? Not only to ourselves, but to yeah. you know other first Indian nations and indigenous groups, and as well as to the settlers. How, how, what's accurate about the descriptor called Métis? And I think that's the real problem. Yeah, we don't we don't read enough. We, you know, history tells us all kinds of uh, facts and, and truths, and you can't just say I'm all I'm only going to believe these ones because that supports my narrative. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It no, and, even, and I don't care if you have how many PhDs you have on your name, that still isn't an effective way to do things. That's not an objective look on anything. That's just you wanting to be right. And, yeah. But, you know, I, 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 I get a, it kind of, you know, it drives me crazy when we talk about this because you hear so much negativity about Eastern Métis. You hear all these people, and I've even heard First Nations, like Blackfoot people in Treaty 7 where I'm at, talking about, oh, Eastern Métis are stealing rights. Well, the only reason they're saying that is because they're being told that by the local Métis nation, right? Um, But it's just to use words like mongrels, Heinz 57, monkey. Like, I would never use those words to describe anybody, any human human person. Like, I, I don't know about you, but those are just, when somebody says, hey, what do you think of that strange person over there on the side of the road? Unless they're in a gorilla suit, I, the first thing that comes to mind is not, oh, they're a monkey, a mongrel, a Heinz 57. Like, I hate to tell everybody this, but we're all Heinz 57s at this point in Canada. So, you know, because you had, maybe, maybe you only had one ancestor that was in Red River for a short period of time. Maybe your connection there is very weak. Does that make you a mongrel, a monkey, a Heinz 57? Does it doesn't matter how strong ties are to Red River? Do you have to have Red River and Batoche ties in order to not be a monkey and a mongrel? Like, just the language used is so inflammatory. And yet I don't, you know, I mean, I'm sure that there are people in the East that speak very derogatorily about the cartel. And even we do. But I mean, I've never described Audrey as a monkey or a mongrel or a Heinz 57. And I can't imagine doing that. My issues are with the organizations, with the funding, with the government, with all these policies. But I mean, to attack people like that, like that's, that's just dehumanizing, which is another tactic in how to make people less than. You dehumanize them so that it's easier for people to believe the lie that, oh, they're just trying to steal stuff because they're not even humans. They're just mongrels. Like it, 
But nobody is anybody from the Métis Nation checking his language? Is anybody gonna? Is he gonna get fired from his position? Like, what's happening? Yeah, and and that's the whole point. When we you, you talk in a day and an age where we're trying to move away indigenous communities away from this conversation of some kind of blood purity notion, uh, you know, are you you know you have enough quantum you know to be in this people group? To be classified yeah. as indigenous. That's really what this conversation is. Oh, so I'm sorry, you're not Métis enough. And it's it's like exactly what you're talking about is how strong are your ties to that community? Because what they're saying is if you're too mixed, then you're not a, you're not Métis. So yeah. And so then it's not about genealogy. It's not about your historical connection or community. It's how much mixed up is your blood. You know, so yeah. you're just too too mongrel of a person yeah. to really acclaim any identity exactly exactly and think you know and then of course this guy later on apologized like a few days later but his apology uh let me just see if i can find it here um yeah he said uh you know basically he was sorry for using those words but it doesn't overshadow his message so I don't know about you, but I've always been told as soon as somebody says, Jason, I'm, I'm sorry for running into your car, but then it's not really an apology. It's a justification of my actions. You know what I mean? So he's not really sorry he said it. He's sorry he said it and it made news. That's what he's sorry about. But he's, he, you know, he doesn't want to take faith from the message that these, you know, less than people are trying to steal our nationhood. And yeah. yet, the president of the MNC at the time even said, you may be Métis, but you might not be part of the Métis nation. So, what, two years ago, year and a half ago, he set up that language to allow for Eastern Métis to flourish, to, to go do their own thing, with really without the interference of the MNC is what it should be. Yeah. But and even still, you have people like this, and of course... The president of the MNS said, "Oh, these these words are unacceptable." But are they? You, you did anything happen to this guy? Did he did he lose a salary? Did he get demoted? Did he get fired? Did he what happened? Uh, as far as yeah. I know, he's still the regional guy for that area. So, like they're they're sorry, but and it just doesn't fly. And it's just not. I mean, in a day and age where Black Lives Matter and we're going through all these racism discussions and anti-racism discussions, this, <laughs> we're using the same language that white people used for, you know, black people and people of color for thousands, hundreds of years in this, on this land. He's using these now to describe other people that live in this country. You know, how is that not a, a hate crime, really? Well, and, and the challenge I have is, is that we saw and we covered, covered it when it happened, you know, when they accepted and redid their blue blob map and said that there's, there's Métis people outside of the cartel, outside of the MNC structure. Yes. I had hoped that moving forward, that, that that's what would have happened, this continued delineation between the, the Red River Métis Nation and you know, you could have the Voyager Métis Nation in Ontario or whatever, these things would progress. However, yeah. because academia is now largely about uh, self-promotion, 
Yeah. And you have certain segments taking advantage of mainstream politics right now. Yeah. And, you know, so it's easy to publish a book, you know, that suits that divisive narrative of yeah. an, a Western Métis person versus an Eastern Métis person. And one is valid and one's not. And so, unfortunately, we see in settler society, you can't really trust academia in a lot of ways because it's only there to take advantage of the divisive problems that we have in indigenous circles. Yeah. You know, um, if there was big money in it, you could probably write, you know, a wonderful uh, story about, uh, you know, how the Ojibwe and the Mohawk don't like each other either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, you can write about the historic, you know, problems between the Cree and the Black. For sure. And how, no, you know, which one of them really the real people of the land. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know? absolutely. And the reason that they're not is because it's not, an, it's not a story and no one's going to make any money and probably no one's going to buy your book. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I don't hear this kind of language being used from one First Nation to another First Nation. You know, you, you don't have Blackfoot and Cree, I mean, you know, saying things like calling each other monkeys and mongrels because they don't fit your narrative. So it's, it's this, you know, we, we talk about systemic racism, we talk about these things. And this guy is also a very proud Christian Métis. And so, you know, you want to talk about that colonization of, of people. That's what, that's what we're looking at is we have a very colonized Christian person who's calling people who, who identify as Métis, mongrels and monkeys. And I don't understand how that in and of itself, I mean, you're, you're, you're purposely targeting a group of people with these words. How is this not seen as racism? How is it not seen that way? And I don't know. I, I just, I think it's terrible that we have, that we've gotten to the point where now we're just, you know, name calling, like we're in grade one and we're out on the playground and you see somebody wearing glasses and you don't think people wearing glasses are right. So they should be picked on. Like that's what we're boiling down to. Um, I don't know of anybody in the East that's attacking the Métis nation at this level, like just mudslinging and calling them names and doing these things you know, in, in reverse, um, really, I, from what I understand and from every Eastern Métis I've talked to, they just simply want to get recognition. They want to do their own thing. They want to work on their own stuff. They want to work on their own community. They don't want Manitoba Métis Federation telling people in Nova Scotia who is and who's not Métis. And so, you know, like we're, we're really sinking into the pit of, I, I guess what colonial politics is really all about, which is just, slander and name calling until people believe enough people believe it well and that that really is what this boils down to it's not about facts it's not about what does history tell us it's you know it's not about no anything real it's now about uh, an opinion poll mm -hmm. well that's how we make our policy based on the popularism of the day what what yeah. sells what can i get to make traction not what's true, not what's real, not, you know, and that's, I think it really shows in a lot of ways, Métis people's disconnected in this arena from the land and, you know, the honesty mm. that comes with being on the land and, and those intrinsic, you know, value systems yeah. that you learn from being on the land. And I think that so much of this has to do now because it's politics, because it's money, 
because it's, you know, the constitution and it's your rights yeah. that we're removed from the intrinsic value system that should be Métis people uh, the identifier is, is the people of the land. And I think yeah. that, that we've really lost that and we've degraded and taken the great big toboggan ride down this, you know, slope of, you know, colonial politics. And we yeah. think that that's something should be the norm inside of Métis politics as well. When really we should be better than that. Absolutely. And, and you know, what's interesting is they don't really ever get um, the opposite viewpoint on this. Like the CBC does this article and of course they go on and on and on about how, you know, the, the article basically degrades into a promotion piece for the Métis Nation organizations. Um, you know, we know who we are. Yet they're fighting with each other constantly about who is and who's not. And that's, you know, like they don't even know who they are. I mean, two years ago, the Powleys were Métis. Today, they're not. <laughs> you know, Ontario had lots of Métis. Now they don't. Um, Northern Alberta was Métis until they broke away. Now they're not Métis because they are not part of the nation. So like, it, it, it couldn't be more obviously colonized. You have to have a plastic card to, tend to determine your Métisness. That's a pretty colonial attitude. Um, you have to be part of one organization only, not any others, just this one. Well, that's very colonial mentality. You know, like, it's just everything that they say is very colonized. And it, it stems, from, I believe, from the fact that they receive all their funding and their yes-men from the government of Canada. They're that, you know, checkbox. We consulted with Métis. Yep, we did. Um, the, the very Métis that we pay, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to throughout the years, that's who we've checked with. Um, and, and this guy is another great example. I mean, you had another example of this kind of stuff where, you know, you have these um, well-meaning people get involved in the Bear Clan Patrol in Winnipeg. And they took over the board and then got rid of the guy who founded it because he wasn't uh, living up to, he wasn't doing what they wanted him. But you have all these like colonized white people take over these boards. Um, it's the same problem you run into in nonprofit structures where it's, it's constantly like you have non-indigenous people writing indigenous policies, making indigenous programs, uh, running indigenous grant provided programs. And here you have this, you know, nice Christian guy who's calling people monkeys and mongrels. Where in the Christian language or Bible does it tell you, yeah, no, it's cool if you do that. I mean, I think it does, but I, I just, I don't think you're really living up to the Jesus tenets if you're calling people monkeys and mongrels. They're human beings. They want recognition for who they are. That's it. And, and, then, and we should be able to respect that even if you don't agree with it. Exactly. So, and that's the challenge I have with these kinds of conversations is they don't revolve around facts. It's all emotionally driven. It's all based on your passion for what you think is right. And you don't care about any other person. It's yeah. about the propagation of an idea and, an, and a nationalistic agenda um, versus whether it's true or not. You know, yeah. um, as, as much as we, you know, as much as it must irk uh, a Red River nationalist, there are historic communities that have been recognized outside of the Métis Nation. Yes. We have, we have other organizations in Canada in making land claim settlements with the government of Canada right now that have nothing to do 
with the Métis National Council or its affiliates. Yeah. So this idea that there is only the Red River Métis and that's it, and only the MNC organization and that's it, is false. But to degrade people outside of that narrative, for whatever reason, I don't care if they have a competing idea or if they're actually truly honestly trying to colonially usurp your identity. There's no, there's still no foundation for using that kind of language as a descriptor for other people. Exactly. I mean, everything in the news these days is about not using these kinds of words and this language and these descriptors for human beings. Um, and, and yet we're still doing it and we're doing it to, you know, I mean, take away the indigenous side, you're doing it to your own fellow Canadians. I mean, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. And then, and then these are the guys that, you know, throw out all these inflammatory statements. And like you said, it's based on emotions. And I, I really feel like in a lot of cases as bringing, going back to the reading zero books from after high school or whatever, like it's about, you, you get a lot of your opinions and a lot of people get their opinions about from the people they hang out with. So why is like white supremacy, why are people drawn to that? Because they create this environment where people feel welcomed. People feel like they are part of something bigger. And then suddenly they take on the, the ideals of the group. That's how gangs work. That's how, you know, any gang that you, that's how police work. That's how all this stuff works is once you're part of that collective, you want to fit in and suddenly your ideas start to change, not based on fact, based on the emotional aspect of the people you choose to associate with. So him saying this means, says to me, and, and having people in the audience laugh, tells me that in his area, with that crowd, those words are often used and everybody thinks it's okay. Now, you know, I, maybe they don't say this about other people. Maybe it's just reserved for Eastern Métis, but I would suspect that this is a larger issue as well. Um, and so again, why is the Métis nation not looking at their own things and saying, Hey, you know, that's those comments. Yeah, we can't, those are not, that's, that's the breaking line. Um, you know, they need to clean up their own house, right? Again, so. Well, I think a lot of Indigenous people, you know, don't really make the correlation. You know, you see a lot on uh, in First Nations conversations talking about chief and council and talking about the disparity and the government interference that goes on through that mechanism into their actual Indigenous sovereignty and their ability to self-determine what they want to do. And you look at Chief and Council as a, a huge wedge into actually making that happen. I don't think people really correlate, even First Nations don't correlate the fact that the Métis National Council and its affiliates are really used as that same wedge against Métis people. Yeah. It's that same government funding. It's that same money to the top, that same unaccountability, no transparency that propagates the same collective interference in Métis people's right to self-determination. And Absolutely. I, I think that this, and that is, I think that's the whole point of it. I think that's why the government keeps throwing so much money at it, is mm -hmm. it continues the conversation of division and it continues the conversation of reducing its fiduciary responsibility to the collective Métis people. But our Absolutely. inability to 
recognize that and have that as a real conversation, I think is keeping us from progressing to really finding the full embodiment of our constitutional rights in this country as Métis people. We're more concerned Absolutely. with arguing about our own personal chief and counsel in the form of the, the Métis nation and its interference than we are about doing anything legitimately to move forward. Well, that's just it. Like, I, I mean, I don't, I've never understood this whole concept of the, the inner fighting. I mean, to me, it's okay, let's work together, come up with, like, let's work across the country. And if we can get a million people to fight a battle as opposed to 400,000, we're going to do better with a million. And let's work together to sort out the, you know, you know, 50 handful of fraudsters that are wanting to game the system and get hunting rights or, or whatever it is that they claim. Let's deal with those people within the organizations, but let's have that one collect, like let's have a, a, a unified thing. And I mean, we're not, everybody's talked about Métis unifying for decades and it just hasn't happened. And the reason I think at this point we have to start asking, what is the reason it's not happening? What is the reason that Métis people feel okay calling other people monkeys, mongrels, Heinz 57s? I mean, it would be more respectful just to say half-breeds, just to call them half-breeds, than to call them all these things. Because there's actually people that still like that term, and that's fine. But it's like, at what point do we, is it okay to do this to other people and, and when you don't even know who you are? You're fighting within yourself about who in Ontario's Métis and who, if you side with Ontario, then you can't be part of the National Council and we're going to punish you. Like, get your house in order. And then, let's, let's, I don't understand, I've never understood why we can't just, at the very least, for, leave them alone. Let them fight their own court battles. Let them get their own recognition. Let them apply for grant funding. Let them do their own thing and just focus on making yours the best that you can be um, because I mean we there's a, a litany of things that these organizations don't do for their people have never done for their people but yet receive millions and millions of dollars for so you know it, it's it to me it's the smoke and mirrors a little bit too where it's like let's throw shade over there and throw rocks over there so the noise is over there and nobody's looking at what we're doing yeah. right um, I mean it's no different than when the yeah. CBC wants to do an article on the Métis Nation, if they really wanted to investigate them, they can't because they're a nonprofit society, which means they're not part of the Freedom of Information Act stuff. But at the same time, they call themselves a government, so they should be, so you could get this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's all just smoke and mirrors to, like you said, keep people divided and keep people fighting over here. Well, we just do whatever we want over here. Yeah, and, and that's why I made that correlation. You look at the Métis National Council, even here in Alberta, you look at what does the MA really do for its people? Well, it doesn't do anything because that's not what it's meant. Yeah. It's meant to look like the government is doing something for the Métis people without actually ever doing anything. You know, different than chief yeah. and council. Yeah. You have, what, what are they really accomplishing and moving? Yeah. You know, we talk about language, you talk about tradition, you talk about culture, you talk about the land, you talk about any of these issues and, and there's crickets because that's not what they're there for. They're yes. there for the government to put on a good face that they are working with Métis people. If there was yeah. such a massive 
swell of awesomeness in what's going on in the MA and, and with all those millions of government bucks, why would you have communities break away to try to forge their own way forward? Absolutely. You know, why why would the settlements in Alberta be so absolute in staying outside of that organization? Yeah. Why would there be so many Métis in Alberta that absolutely have no interest in getting a uh, being part of your organization? A hundred over a hundred thousand Métis, and you claim less than a third of that. Why? Why? Why aren't people flocking to be a Métis if they can qualify? Why aren't they flocking to be Métis? I mean, most Métis people that I've talked about that are members of the cartel honestly say, "Well, I don't even know what this card does. I got this card and." That's it. There's nothing. You know, they, and they, the other thing is, is they always take this argument against Eastern Métis back to, well, they're trying to usurp our, our history, culture, and identity. And yet the Métis Nation of Alberta has no clue what Métis artists can make a Red River cart. They have no knowledge within the Métis Nation office on how to build a Red River cart or how to find somebody that builds Red River carts. They spend less per year on, on cultural events than they do on stationery. Um, you know, the list goes on. So who's trying to usurp your culture? You're certainly not doing anything to strengthen it. Like you said, where's the language classes? Every regional office in every province that has a Métis National Council affiliate should have weekly language classes weekly jigging classes, weekly fiddle lessons, weekly Métis history, weekly, like these things should be happening. They have people staffed in these offices to do what? <laughs> you know, like, so when, when you're not building your own culture, it's pretty hard to go out and say, oh, but these guys are trying to steal ours. But you don't even know your own culture. Like you, you spend less on cultural events than stationary per year. And this whole institutes within this organization and its ideology, you know, funded for these kinds of purposes. Whereas if yeah. this is if this is the only Métis nation, it is the only valid one. Where's the books? Where's the kids stuff? Where's, where is anything that any yeah. other the indigenous nation is racing towards to ensure the continuum of their culture and their language? Yeah. It wasn't yeah. until 2019 that they had a, a Métis youth summer camp. Mm -hmm. What better way to teach your culture than a summer camp for youth? It should just be all summer long. Every week is a new crop of kids coming through to do Métis culture camp. Yeah. But they didn't do that until there was outside pressure to, to start a culture camp, till other people started culture camps so, that are outside of the Métis nation. Not to blow our own whistle, but that was us. Yeah, yeah. For those who don't know, I'm trying to, you know, get that out there. But uh, but it's true. 2019, and they then they decided to finally do a youth camp out at that Métis crossing. Yeah. They've had the land for how many years? So. Yeah, and that's and that's really my point. It's it's very easy to point the finger, like you said, and say, "Oh, look over there at at this possible threat." or the people who are different from us and yeah. detract when you when you look at the problems in our own province and our own government structures and look at the way these cartels are run look at what they're what they're doing but i think we need to address why are they even there 
And I think they might have started with good intentions, but the truth is that they've been used as a weapon against me. people. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I think that's all I had for today. Um, that was a lot, but, um, certainly a lot of disturbing stories coming out lately. I mean, you know, we could continue this. I saw a post on Facebook by a certain academic that was being shared. Uh, it was said, you know, out of the hundred and some cases that have gone to court over the last 10 years or something in, in the East, you know, 80% of them have lost or something. And so that's his proof that, that there's no Métis in the East. Um, and so again, we're, we're back to using the colonial structures, the colonial courts to determine Métis identity. You have colonial cartel organizations that are colonially structured and colonially funded determining Métis identity. You have academics that are colonial educated, colonially recognized, writing colonial books on Métis identity when they're not even Métis. All of this is being promoted by the Métis nation as good, good for the nation. But that group in the East that wants to maybe apply for a, a Métis grant to do some community building events, um, you know, have some potlucks, have some, you know, jigging and, you know, have some celebrations. They're going to apply for a grant. Those are the guys trying to steal the culture, right? And I mean, we could go on literally for days on this. And I think we've done that enough episodes, but the stories just kind of keep coming. Like every day, it's just a new post, a new article, a new something. Um, and I, I, it, it seems to be really ramping up now because they're really trying to isolate most of Ontario and, and eradicate them. Um, but, and know. I think it'll get worse and you'll see more books written because it's popular. You know, when you have the cartel organization really split on itself, when you have the MA and the MS side with the MNO. Yeah. And, and the MNF and the federal structure, you know, don't yeah. support that. Yeah. They have their own huge internal problems and internal struggles going on. And so it's, it really is a hot button topic inside, I think, the Red River Nation. It is, it, it's a, a big deal. Um, and they're struggling to come to what the actual definition, you know, their, their historic 2002 definition. <laughs> I think they're really, they're really sitting down and starting to come to grips with what is its actual implications. Yeah. Given the fact that more Métis people outside of the Red River are getting that recognition. Yeah. Um, and they're doing it through the court system. So sure, it's not a great success rate, but I think of all the court cases lost here in Alberta, I think of the... Even in southern Alberta, how many court cases have the Métis people taken uh, to try to get harvesting rights in southern Alberta? And they've lost every single one. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're, as Indigenous people, we lose uh, in court quite a bit. Um, and when we do win, nothing happens anyway. <laughs> but, exactly. Yeah. And so in that real, real chance that when you get Métis people uh, getting some recognition in this country, uh, with those kinds of odds stacked against you, it is a windfall. So when you look in Ontario and you find these Métis communities that have got that recognition, well, you got to know that the odds were long, mm -hmm. not, you know, terribly stacked against them to get across that bridge and that finish line to get that colonial recognition. So yes. to use, for me, again, it shows that academia is no friend to Indigenous people. 
any more than government money is a friend to indigenous people that they're using our own internal struggles against us to profit off of our conversations absolutely is really what this boils down to yeah yeah no it's it's uh you know it's it's a sad state of affairs but i mean it's not going to get solved today tomorrow we're not solving it by by sitting here and talking but at least uh, you know again uh, the hope is always that maybe these conversations spread and maybe people start asking questions and and start asking their locals and their regionals and their you know their so-called leaders some of the tough questions that need to be asked you know um why why are we now fighting to eliminate people in in Ontario as metis that are proven to be Métis by the same court system that we're using to prove Eastern Métis aren't Métis. Like that same court system proved that these guys are Métis. So why aren't we accepting that? Why are they claiming Southern Alberta as part of their land has always been baffling to me because it's net, they, you know, they don't have rights here. They're, they're not pre-colonial. Um, so like, how do you, like, again, that's where all of this need, they need to clean their own house and get things in order before they start telling other people who they are and who they're not. Because they, they, they have no idea what they're doing other than keeping the money for themselves and making sure no one else gets it. That's the real goal. It's, for me, it's really, it's really straightforward. It's about ownership of the word Métis and thus ownership of Section 35 rights in the Constitution. Yeah, you can you could be True. indigenous, but if you're not one of those three indigenous groups, well, then you got to fight for your own definition to get put in that little yeah. box. And yeah. it's real sad that that the whole thing is so colonial, uh, so disconnected from any you know any real land-based traditions. I think Métis people had whether you were in the east and in a canoe or on the prairie in in the wagon. There were this is a, a modern colonial value system that Métis people, I think, are too readily adopted. Well, because it fits in today's society. It's very colonial. We're in a very colonized society. It's very easy to think that. And it's, it's super easy to just go, yeah, they're not Métis. Perfect. Nothing changes. We've just denied them, and now they will never get anything. Perfect. It's a very easy step. So it really, truly is the easy path, because if anybody started admitting that there's Métis in the East, well, like you said, now the government's fiduciary responsibility just grew, um, not by leaps and bounds either, not by huge amounts, but by a moderate amount. Um, but it does change the history a little bit because we've been told a very colonized version of history. Um, so like, it does affect a lot of things if they were to admit it. And so it's just easier to not. It's easier to fight that. It's easier to throw the smoke in everybody's attention over there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's completely about uh, justifying your organizations, getting the money and taking ownership over all, you know, constitutional rights for Métis people in this case. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I, I hear this specific academic say, well, in my research, these people that are claiming to be Indigenous are going back 10 generations. And yet we have a seventh generation, like we have seven generation, for, um, you know, uh, prophecies and stuff like that. And, and a lot of indigenous people's um, outlook is we have to do now things to make life better for the next seven generations. 
So I always laugh because it's like, okay, so once we're past the seven, according to these guys, are you not indigenous anymore? Like that eighth generation, yeah, screw them. We don't care about them. You know what I mean? Like it's, we have to honor the seven generations that came before us, but not eight or 10. Like it just says seven. So literally, we're just going to take that as literal or something if you're an academic, I guess. Um, But again, and then there's the, well, if you have one drop of indigenous blood, you're indigenous. Except when it comes to Métis. Because if it goes too far back and you're not the right Métis, well, then you can't be. But what happens when Red River Métis get past 10 generations or seven generations? You know, what happens when, you know, um, another 50 years goes by and some kid goes, hey, you know, my, my grandpa used to have a Métis card. Maybe I'll go get mine. But it's now 10 generations back to that Métis person. Does it still apply? Can they still get it? So to me, these academics are, are pushing the inter- extermination of Métis people, which fits the government narrative. And I mean, it's not hard to draw these conclusions. I mean, it's, you take a step back and how can you not see, like, how can you not believe that's what the plan is? Well, it's the modern day Buffalo hunter, right? Yeah. You get that the colonial guy coming out there, slaughtering all the Buffalo, taking pot shots at everything. Meanwhile, putting all the profits in his pockets and what happens at the end of the day, there's no more Buffalo. Exactly. Uh, You know, we have, you know, colonial settlers profiting off of this indigenous internal issue as Métis people have conversations about who we are, where are we from in our history because it's been so marginalized and so really so squashed under the foot of colonialism through residential schools and everything else that, that the whole conversation of Métis identity needs breathing space to have honest conversations. And instead we have colonial academics who have no ties to anything that is Métis or any person who's Métis sitting here profiting off of this whole conversation. Well, and then you have other academics that are winning awards for their research in this field. And you know, the other academics and the, and the cartel and these nationalists are attacking them as though they shouldn't get these awards and they, they're trying to usurp a, a cultural identity. But the white, the, the non-Indigenous academic who says what they, what they, what they want to hear, oh, he's fine. He, you know, he can get all the accolades and awards and he can be paid by the Métis National Council and he can be supported by all these funding and stuff like that. That's fine. But the other guy over here that proves something that maybe you didn't believe, but you can't really deny because it's proven. Written words are hard to erase from that long ago. So he's winning awards, and those awards aren't just handed out. Like, they don't just draw a name and, oh, they won an award. Like, there's a reason they won the award. Their research is thorough. It's, it's vetted. It's peer-reviewed. It's, it's published. It it's recognized as legitimate research and they want to come down on those people, but not these people. So again, we go back to that hypocrisy of it's good enough until we say it's not. And then it's not, no, you're Métis until we decide you're not, you're yeah. you, you, this area is okay till we decide it's not, but they're the people who know they are, who they are. Right. Yeah. And this, again, it goes back to that same conversation. It's a really sad part of the day and age we live in where people can just use whatever they want for their confirmation bias to keep their propaganda machine going. And it has very little to do with facts, very little to do with history, very little to do with anything tangible. It's just 
constant emotionally driven fear of somebody other than ourselves. You know, yeah. we got to, ooh, look out. All these, you know, hundreds of thousands of Métis people in Ontario and Quebec are going to come and flood us out. Yeah. Well, last time I checked, you know, when the president of the MMF said they have how they represent how many Métis people? 400,000? Yeah. Well, I don't think there's more than 400,000 people in Quebec and Ontario who are claiming Métis identity. So they're not going to get overshadowed by these fakers from the East. Exactly. Well, and then are they being, uh, is it being usurped by the northern, the group in northern Alberta that is no longer affiliated, the Yellowknife, De- uh, Métis, the, yeah. you know, all like you said before, all these other Métis groups that have nothing to do with the Métis nation, are they usurping the culture? It, like we don't hear them condemning them all the time. No, no, it's weird. It's just no, weird. Where, where, where's the big backlash against the Northwest Métis who are in a lands claim settlement act yeah. with the federal government, and it's going to give them land for Métis people, but it's completely outside the cartel. Yeah, where, where's the where's outrage the against them? Where's the call out against them? Where? Where's you know, the academics, the non-Indigenous academics jumping on that bandwagon? Like, are, are they mongrels and fakers too? Exactly. So it's just a lot. I mean, so much of this is very hypocritical. And I, I really think, you know, honestly, if people were to sit down in a room where you have just, just your, your standard Métis people who may, may or may not believe that there's Métis in the East, or to sit down with your standard group of Métis people in the East, that want to that are trying to get identified i honestly think you would probably go yeah no they'd have a great time and everybody would eat and dance and have fun and enjoy the night all right well i guess uh zoom is telling us that we should stop talking because we just got kicked off of zoom so um i don't know if you had any last thoughts or anything else that you hadn't said that we want to you want to say before we leave this week jay or no, um, again, it was great to, to chat. I look forward to any comments. And uh, if anybody has any stories or things they'd like us to chat about, they can shoot it to us. Absolutely. And if you think you have a topic that you want to discuss or you've done something unique um, that you want to promote or, or you know, get across, not necessarily business-wise, but like if you're an artist or, or you're uh, you know, a Métis politician or something, uh, or anything that, or you know somebody that you think should be on the show, hey, send us an email, metispodcast at gmail.com, and we'll see what we can do. I mean, via Zoom, it's actually pretty easy to to cover and get Métis guests from across the nation on um, if we could just arrange schedules to get them on. Um, but yeah, if, if you know anybody or you want to be on the show, just let us know. And, uh, and uh, yeah, send us your feedback and let us know what you thought. I guess uh, for both of us, until next time we do a show, The jig is up.